everyone, welcome back to The Pillar of Fire, episode 7. I'm your host, Wally II of America. And I am also your host, Tanner Gibbs. Yes, Tanner is back, everybody, yay! What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, that's great. I'm glad, for those of you that answered to the podcast, I'm very glad. Many of you watch many uh, uh, TV shows as children where they would ask you questions and you shouted at the TV. And I heard you just now, <laughs> all of you. I'm very glad. I'm very glad, whatever yes, it is. It was very loud, but we could make out your responses through the fray. That's, that's exactly right. It was mostly static, though. Just mostly... <laughs> we interrupt this message. I did hear one person yell, Wait, is that Tanner? <laughs> yes, it is me, guys. Um, I was taking a, a brief sabbatical. Brief. A brief. It was long. There was a lot of stuff that was going on. I was busy, and a lot of bad stuff happened, and I was grieving. For those of you who uh, have only recently started listening to the podcast, uh, Tana was actually the guy who came up with this idea. Um, but he's just been very busy with a lot of things, and so I've ha- been having to run it for a bit, but he is hard at work behind the scenes, and now he's back to start recording again. Yes, and if you guys have not heard the trailer, you need to. We just made the trailer, and and because of that, we're actually on Spotify now, and that, was, that was really exciting. It was awesome. I was so... I'm. I'm very happy with Anchor. The trailers are awesome, okay? Anchor, thank you for the music. It's wonderful. I love it so much. Only 60 seconds. That was difficult. I had to cut it like five different times. Yeah. Because I kept running through. Da, 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 da. And then I improved it the last time. I was like, I'm going to do it. And I did it. So guys, listen to that. I mean, it's going to waste 56 seconds of your life, but it's worth it because it's cool. Yeah, so today we are actually going to be in uh, Romans chapter 7, and uh, there's a couple other ideas that I have um, that are going to be a little uh, deviant from Romans in the future, uh, just to talk about uh, certain things that pertain to like grieving and and, and temptation and like trials and and idolatry and just my my experience with that and... uh, most importantly, what the Word of God says about it. And surprise, surprise, the Word of God's true. <laughs> um, so uh, Raleigh is going to kick us off by uh, reading verses uh, 1 through we gotta pray. 6. Yes, that is right. We always open with a prayer. Yes. And it is your turn. Welcome back. Here is your welcome back prize. You get to pray. Yes, wonderful. Start us off with a bang. Uh, Thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful time we get to have together and the fellowship that we get to have together, Lord. Uh, We pray that you would uh, give us the words to say, Lord God. Give us understanding of your uh, scripture through your Holy Spirit. Uh, You tell us there's a teacher with every single one of us, and that is you, Lord God. So as we read your word today, let us understand it and let us teach it with truth. And we pray that all those listening to this would receive it by the same Holy Spirit with the same truth. And that those who do not know you would come to you, Lord. In Jesus' only precious, beautiful name, amen. Amen. Okay, as Kenna said, I'm going to kick us off by reading uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is from the complete Jewish Bible. Surely you know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who understand Torah, that the Torah has authority over a person only so long as he lives. 
For a married woman is bound by Torah to her husband while he is alive. But if the husband dies, she is released from the part of the Torah that deals with husbands. Therefore, while the husband is alive, she will be called an adulteress if she marries another man. But if the husband dies, she is free from that part of the Torah, so that if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Thus, my brothers, you have been made dead with regard to Torah through the Messiah's body, so that you may belong to someone else, namely, the one who has been raised from the dead, in order for us to bear fruit for God. For when we were living according to our old nature, the passions connected with sins worked through the Torah in our various parts, with the result that we bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from this aspect of the Torah because we have died to that which had us in its clutches so that we are serving in the new way provided by the Spirit and not in the old way of outwardly following the letter of the law. So, I think a big thing to recognize here is beforehand that the people uh, who were under the old covenant did not have the Spirit of God living with, within them. They did not have the spirit of God inside them. The spirit of God was measured. Yes, and and and, and they followed the rather the law, which is uh, it is of the spirit, but they did not have the spirit inside them in the way that we as Christians today do, and and so they were sort of married to the law in a sense, and and what this passage is talking about is it's paralleling the marriage to. It's paralleling the laws of marriage in the sense that you know if you marry somebody else while you're uh, while you're while the while your spouse is still alive, then then it's sinful. It's adult. It's adultery. Um, but if uh, if your spouse it, it, it passes away, then whenever you marry somebody. It makes no. It makes. It's not a sin. Right. It's not a. It's not a sin. And. So, I think that talking about under the old covenant when the spirit was not, the spirit of God was not indwelling everyone, that doesn't mean that God was absent. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere and he has always been everywhere because he is eternal. And it doesn't mean that God was absent from their lives and the only thing they had was the Torah. They could still pray to God and God would hear them because they were his children and they could still love God and know God in a very real way, but they had priests as mediators between God and them. If they wanted to uh, repent for the sins, they had to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice to do that, where today Christ is our mediator between us and God and not the priests. That's right. And, and, and we are married to Christ. We are able to marry Christ. And it's not betraying the law. One, because... Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But, in a sense, the argument that Paul is making here is just talking about you have died with Christ. You are die, You died in Christ. The death of Christ, the reason why it frees you from the law is because you are in Christ. Whenever, whenever he died, you died. And, and whenever he raised, you raised. And, um... And as such, you're able, you're able to remarry in a sense, and you are married to, to Christ himself. You are the very bride of Christ. 
And I think it also goes back to what we talked uh, talked about a little bit in the previous chapter that death is the penalty for sin. If you die, you're free of guilt because you've paid the price for your sin, but you're still dead. And so if we want to live and be free from sin, we have to trust Christ because we can't do that ourselves. We can't pay the penalty and live. And I think one thing that stuck out to me when it talks about the passions connected with sin worked through the Torah. Um, when we were dead to the Torah and we did not know Christ, sin, it, was, it gave us pleasure and we didn't feel the guilt connected with sin because we were dead to it. And now that we are in Christ, we may still gain fleshly pleasure from sin, but it doesn't give us the same satisfaction that it did before and it comes with guilt and knowing that we've betrayed god who loves us that's right because your inner man is serving god and that's one where it expands on that even even more later one thing that i think that we should really encapsulate here is it talks about how uh how um they were dead from the grip can you mm-hmm. read that verse again of the Torah because we have died to that which had us in its clutches so that we are serving in the new way provided by the spirit and not in the old way of outwardly following the letter of the law. So the really big thing is to understand here is they had the law but they did not have the power in, in themselves to fulfill the law in its wholeness. They did not have the power in themselves to complete the law. And that's one thing that it's talking about is how it's freeing. Because now they have the very spirit of of God, the spirit of the law inside them to fulfill the very commandments which God has given them. Which I think is a really huge idea here. And it's absolutely just wonderful. Yes. Okay, let's move on to verse uh, 7 through 12. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? Oh, sorry. We're reading the wrong (laughs) Wrong translation. (laughs) Um, Romans 7, uh, uh, 7 through 12. Yes. Therefore, what are we to say? That the Torah is sinful? Heaven forbid. Rather, the function of the Torah was that without it, I would not have known what sin is. For example, I would not have become conscious of what greed is if the Torah had not said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, worked in me all kinds of evil desires. For apart from Torah, sin is dead. I was once alive outside the framework of Torah. But when the commandment really encountered me, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was intended to bring me life, was found to be bringing me death. For sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me. And through the commandment, sin killed me. So the Torah is holy. That is, the commandment is holy, just, and good. Really had a few thoughts on this, didn't you? Yes. Um, so first, the first thing to note is that uh, there is a reference to the Old Testament in this, the Old Covenant, in verse 7, the very end, when it says, uh, The Torah had not said, Thou shalt not covet. That's from Exodus 20, verse 14, and Deuteronomy 5, 18, just one of the Ten Commandments that probably all of you know. 
Um, so the first thing I think that Paul talks about is that the toy does not save us, but that is not because the toy is defunct in some way. It's the toy was not supposed to save us. That's not the toy's job. Christ saves us. The toy points out to us our need to be saved. That's right. So the interesting thing is, is the Bible will talk about the Torah as the path to life. As in, if some way you are able to perfectly fulfill this, you would be able to make it. Which is why so many people get confused and they think it's about good works. But the thing is, is God knows that we're never going to be able to fulfill it. Never. So he gives us the Torah, the law, in order to show us that we need salvation. Because he knows, even though it is the way to life, that we can never achieve it. We can never follow that path on our own. We don't have the strength. And when it says that the Torah brings death... It's not the fault of the commandment. The commandment is not the one killing us. We are killing ourselves because we break the commandment. If we follow the commandment, we would have the life that it's supposed to give. But because we break it, instead we have death. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and the thing is, is that with, without, without the Torah, you feel like you're fine. You feel fine. Oh, I'm good enough. I do all this stuff. But whenever you see the law of God, you realize just how in need of God you are. Just how in need, in need of God's mercy you are. That's what it is. Is I wasn't I was alive until I until I had the Torah. Without the Torah, I'm alive, okay? Because I even though I even though you do sin, you don't know that you're sinning. But whenever right. you do, whenever you know the law of God, you know I am dead. And then you there's a part of you that's like, what can I do? I'm dead. And there's another there's another part that it talks about and how it worked all manner of covetous uh, of covetousness mm-hmm. that it could seizing the opportunity. And which is interesting because it's talking about the sin nature and that how you may not have known about a certain sin, and now all of a sudden you do. And, and now, now you want to you do it. You want to do it because you're flesh. And it doesn't, it's weird because like we can't say why. That's just part of our nature. Mm-hmm. That's kind of Because like, we want to be independent. We want to, we want to get to God in, our, in and of ourselves. We feel like we should be self-sufficient for that. That's right. And there's a second way that the Torah can slay you. If you think that you followed the Torah good enough, if you think that you followed the law of God good enough, that, that can also, I mean, that is, I mean, that is pure death because, because those who, who didn't know the law of God and they know the law and they realize that they're in need of God's mercy, they can find mercy. But those who don't, God help them. They need a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I think one other verse that we thought was really interesting was where it says, sin deceived me. What does that mean? Um, one thing that I thought of is in the garden when Satan is whispering to Eve and he says, does the commandment really say that? Are you sure that's what God meant? Are you sure that's what God said? So sometimes sin can deceive us by saying, are you sure, though, that's what the commandment really means? And we deceive ourselves because we want to break the commandment, but we don't 
we want to do the act of breaking the commandment, but we don't want the guilt of breaking the commandment, so we justify it to ourselves and say, well, that's not really what the commandment means. Right, and that's, we see that. I think the biggest example that we see that in, and this is like, this is like a whole nother topic entirely, but one of the biggest examples we see that in is with people who are doing bad hermeneutics, which is like translation and word study of the Bible, who try and say, well, homosexuality is okay. And, and they use multiple arguments. They bend the words in the Greek to mean what they don't mean whenever it, in the actual context of the scripture and of the context of the culture, you understand exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It is a sin. Romans chapter one. We understand it is a sin. Uh, but and it's not the circumstances it's not the individual circumstances that make it a sin as some people say and then they'll use the idea well the torah uh the law is gone the law is not gone we are not we are not married to the law anymore Instead, we, we're not under the law in the sense that we were before. We are under grace, but the law is still the commandments of God. And the law is holy and just and good, Paul says. So if it's holy and just and good, why would we want to get rid of it? It's a good thing. Now, this doesn't deal with food issues. We're not talking about that right now. There are, there, there are different passages about the Bible that talk about the, how, how foods that were considered unclean before are now considered clean. And how mm-hmm. certain, of the, certain of the Jewish tradition, they're not required like they used to be. Um, but, but the real and purpose... And you certainly can still follow them if that's what God has led you to do. That's right. Like, I eat kosher and my dad eats kosher. And it's not because we think eating kosher will save us or get us in better graces with God. Or even that it's a sin not to eat kosher. It's just because that's what God's led us to do as we study more about Jewish culture. And as we um, study about what eating kosher was really like. And that's what God has laid on our hearts to do. Right. And that, again, that's not walking in, that's not walking in, in the law that's walking in mm-hmm. the spirit. Right. Because because those are no longer required as uh, as commandments, but they they were in times past and following that can help you to understand uh how the people of God used to live. And that's actually some of the stuff that I've been looking into lately about these uh about particularly like the Jewish holidays and their culture. And I've been kind of delving deeper into that so that I can understand uh, so I can understand it more, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not that, that in itself, it's not required, but it really, it, it can help if that's where God's leading mm-hmm. you to understand. Um, and another topic completely unrelated <laughs> is the, I think a lot of the Jewish, uh, understanding, uh, in the Bible, which Christianity used to have that they, uh, has been lost and they really need to recover that. Uh, like being able to see Christ in the entire Old Testament. Yes. Uh, certain ideas have just been lost entirely. And that's a different... That's a topic for a different day. Yeah. But, but it's kind of related. Mm-hmm. Okay, verses 13 through 20. Then did something good become for me the source of death? Heaven forbid... 
Rather, it was sin working death in me through something good, so that sin might be clearly exposed as sin, so that sin through the commandment might come to be experienced as sinful beyond measure. For we know that the Torah is of the Spirit, but as for me, I am bound to the old nature, sold to sin as a slave. I don't understand my own behavior. I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am agreeing that the Torah is good. But now it is no longer the real me doing it, but the sin housed inside me. For I know that there is nothing good housed inside me. That is, inside my old nature. I can want what is good, but I can't do it. For I don't do the good I want. Instead, the evil that I don't want is what I do. But if I am doing what the real me doesn't want, it is no longer the real me doing it, but the sin housed inside me. Well, then, there is a lot here. There are several ways that people will translate this, and, and they'll say, well, he's a new creature. Listen, people will say that Paul is in the past tense here, so he's talking about his past self, but for whatever reason, he brings it to the, he writes in the present tense. That's not it. It's very clear here. He's saying that it's not the real him. Because you have to understand, whatever you give your life to Christ, you are a new creature. Yes. That is who you really are. It's the sort of paradoxical already but not yet, okay? Mm-hmm. We are saved. We are new creatures. But we are not fully redeemed. We are not, we are not, we are not perfect. We, we are within our sinful flesh. So our spirit and the spirit of God which dwells inside us, it desires it desires to follow the law of God. Yes. That is the real you. But the flesh, the sinful desires of you, they're still sold out to sin. Which is why the Bible talks about you have to crucify your flesh. Because your flesh is sold out to sin. People say, well, what does that mean? It means it, it goes to the very extreme. It really does. It goes to the very extreme. And uh, when Paul says that I can't do good, obviously that doesn't mean that people who are sinful, which is everyone, can do no good acts at all. I mean, even people who aren't Christians can still be what we would think of as good people. They can do good acts and they can be kind, but it's an imperfect goodness because it's apart from God. And God is the source and perfection of all goodness. Yeah, so another translation... uh uh, uh, of the same text would be for I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing and that's the ESV it's a different translation helps you to understand mm-hmm. uh, I think that for what you were saying this mm-hmm. translation makes a really good point um, and we're not playing with translations for, for those scholars out there right. they're both accurate translations mm-hmm. of the passage I mean it's not going to be perfect because any translation is going to have some slight differences so it's good to read more than one translation of the bible and i translations of the bible god uh, if the translators pray and they immerse themselves in the original scripture then god will give them the words to say yeah well there's a, a couple translations i'd avoid mostly the message in the passive pass uh, passion translation don't use those those are not bibles they're paraphrases well the passion translation claims to be a bible but the guy who uh, translated it, one translator, no scholarly, uh, no scholars peer-reviewed it, which is how translations work. He said that he had a vision one night, and uh, 
Well, he knows no Greek, but he translated the entire New Testament somehow. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's part of a New Age Christianity movement, which is a whole other thing. I'm sure we'll address it at some point. There's also translations like the Living Bible, which I've, I've read through the, entire, the entirety of the Living Bible. And I think, it's a, I think it's a good paraphrase. It's a paraphrase translation of the Bible. And I think it can be very useful because it basically rewords the Bible as if it was meant to be written in English. So it clarifies many things. It puts old currency into current currency. It, um, I think it be, can be very helpful in understanding. But even as I was reading through the introduction to that, it was very unclear if the translators believed it was a, quote, real Bible because it's a paraphrase, it's not a direct translation of scripture, but the uh, introduction was very unclear whether or not it should be used as, quote, a real Bible. Yeah, if you want to get a word, if you want to get a paraphrased Bible, the NLT is pretty much the only best version of paraphrased Bibles out there. there. There's not very many that are really good. The NLT is, it's thought for thought, like all paraphrased Bibles. The Bible that I would recommend to everybody is actually the ESV because it's somewhere between it gives you it, it's almost word for word translation mm-hmm. but it also where things aren't like connected with our culture they will translate it in a way to where we can understand it in modern context another really good kind of translation is to get yourself a side-by-side greek word for word translation so it doesn't even translate into english word order it keeps the words in the order of the greek that can be really interesting too. I almost ate a tea bag. <laughs> like, so I'm drinking a cup of tea, and there, there are officially two tea bags in here now. Yeah. And there was one on the edge. Whenever I was taking a drink, I almost swallowed it whole. <laughs> Anyhow, we are super off topic. Um, <laughs> the thing I wanted, to, one thing that really stood out to me is when Paul in this passage is saying, "quote It is no longer the quote real me unquote doing it." Um, and I think that's kind of ties back to a consciousness. Like, we're always stuck inside our own minds, and our consciousness is constantly growing and changing, and we look back and wonder, what was I thinking when I did that? I'm so different, and I'm so much more mature now. And um, our current self always feels like the most real and developed version of yourself. Like, if you think about, <laughs> honestly, the first example that came to mind with me is when I have an argument with my parents, and I go, and I sit, and I sulk in my room, and I think, man, I wish I could go to college now and just be independent. That's what I want to do. But then later I realize, oh, my parents were probably right in that argument, and I don't, act- I don't actually want to leave my real desire is to stay because I love my parents. Um, but in the moment when I'm mad at them, I think that my real desire is to just leave and run away. But that's not actually my real desire. Yeah. And so we always feel like our current self is like the most real version of ourselves. But then when we, especially when we're mad or upset, but then when we kind of take a deep breath of air and we have a better view of the situation, we realized, man, what was I thinking? Yeah, and the point here is his real self is he is a new creature who has been reborn. And so his overall desire, whenever he sins, he feels terrible. You can see him crying out right now. Um, do you have anything else to say about that section, Rowan? Uh, no, that's the thing I wanted to talk about. Okay, here's, you start with verse 21. This is verse 21 through 25. 
so I find it to be the rule of a, a kind of perverse Torah that although I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner self, I completely agree with God's Torah. But in my various parts, I see a different Torah, one that battles with the Torah in my mind and makes me a prisoner of sin's Torah, which is operating in my various parts. What a miserable creature I am. Who will rescue me from the body, from this body bound for death? Thanks be to God, he will, through Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord. To sum up, with my mind, I am a slave of God's Torah, but with my old nature, I am a slave of sin's Torah. Okay, so yeah, that's the end of that chapter. Um, this part talks about a body bound for death, and we can't shake off of flesh no matter how much we want to and how hard we try. Our flesh is part of us even though we're being made more like christ we will never be perfected until we die um and so that's why we have to like tanner said early uh, crucify our flesh um because our flesh is we can never get rid of it as long as we're alive on the sinful earth so we have to constantly crucify it and deny our flesh and say yes to god and no to ourselves yes christ whenever two of his disciples ask him to sit one on their right one on his right hand and one on his left hand he said he he asks them well he says to them that they're not able to 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 drink of the cup that he that he drinks out of and and they say that we are able and then he says that what only the father decides who's going to sit on the left and the right hand of him but they will drink of his cup and he's talking about the cup of suffering christ drank the cup of God's wrath, so that we did not have to drink the cup of God's wrath, but we have to drink the cup of suffering that Christ did. And that goes with crucifying our flesh, and and it goes with persecution, which is going to happen. Which is why as Christians, you cannot, your anger is, it, it works ungodliness. Because you, as a follower of Christ, you are going to, it's easy to be on edge, because you are constantly battling yourself but you have to understand that that's exactly what you should expect. And this body of death that Paul is talking about, it's something that his um, audience in Romans would understand very well because it was a Roman punishment under some emperors for a murderer to be chained to the corpse of the person they murdered. And so Paul is talking about uh, this body bound for death like that corpse. Um, and so it's an analogy that the Roman, his Roman audience would have found to be very vivid and have a clear picture in their minds of it. So Paul is using his, he is using the knowledge of his audience and he is using the culture around him to make a point about God. So we can do that today. We can use the culture and understand, we have to understand the culture around us if we want to impact it for Christ and if we want to get on the same level as those living in the world. 
and make analogies and talk to them in a way they understand. There's another idea lurking behind this, which will be covered in in, in another uh, episode. And that's the idea of the resurrection and getting new bodies. In the sense that the body of this death that you have, you will be delivered from. As a follower of Christ, whenever you go, whenever you pass, you're not going to raise with this same body. You are going to be given a body like the body of Christ whenever he raised from the dead. You are going to be given a body of glory. It won't be the flesh that we're used to. It'll be something It'll be something like it, but spiritual, something different. Mm-hmm. We can't understand it, but it will be perfect. And you will no longer have this pull, this tug of war oh, with sin. Oh, warring desires of good and evil because... We want good and we also desire the flesh and evil at the same time. We want opposite things and we try to reconcile in our head and we can't. To put it this way, you will become what God says you are. Mm -hmm. Your spirit and your flesh will finally be at peace with one another. Yes. And that is something to praise God for. So, what can we take away from this chapter? Um, I think the big thing is that we need to get a hold of desires that are apart from God. And we need to get a hold of them fast. And not even just deny ourselves, but run the other way and do the opposite thing. Yeah. And, and one thing that, I, that you need to realize... It can be anything, okay? Anything that you think of more, anything that you love more, anything that you spend your time doing more than reflecting on God, than praying, than reading your Bible, anything you do more than that, it, whatever, whatever is like taking up your thoughts the most, you are, that is an idol. That is, that is an idol. And, and people normally do it to cope or they do it because it's just what they desire, um, and, and that will never fulfill you. And, and the reality is, is that any desire that gets in the way of God is a sinful desire. Even if in, in itself it isn't sinful, it becomes sinful by taking the place of God in your life. And instead of just denying ourselves that desire, we need to take that time and do something good with it. We need to take the time that we would have spent thinking about whatever it is and instead use it to pray. If our addiction is to food, then we need to fast and pray on God. If our addiction is to noise and social interaction, then we need to get alone for a bit. And if our addiction is to being alone and not having to deal with anyone, maybe we need to go out and minister. Sorry, that was the spoon in my tea. We need to go out and minister and spend time with other Christians. The tea is causing problems. (laughs) (laughs) I think the tea is going to have to have consequences whenever we're done. Oh, well. I don't like the taste of tea, but I drink it because it's good for my voice and because I'm a theater nerd, so it's kind of a requirement. I did it because I I shot my voice before the show because I was practicing songs that I was planning on singing, but I left my guitar at home on my way here. Yep. (laughs) So. Anyways. Yeah, so spending time every day with God is vital, and that can be little quick prayers. Just talk to God about whatever you're thinking, and it also needs to come in long, deep study and prayer. Yeah, you also need to, yeah, you need to take time 
obviously daily Bible reading is definitely essential. You, it is essential for your relationship with God. You will not believe it. You start reading and you're like, it transforms your whole life, but it changes you. It really does that. It will change you for, I'm serious. I don't know what to tell you. It is a sword. And the Holy Spirit uses it because whenever you're going about your life and you're thinking about doing something, you may not even realize that you're thinking about doing something sinful or acting in an unchristlike way. And then all of a sudden, a verse will pop in your head and you're like, what? Where'd this come from? <laughs> you know? And it's wonderful. It really is. Um, and one more thing that I wanted to note about this chapter is... Uh, when God, when Paul is talking about this warring desire of good and evil inside of us and how I want to do what's good, but I can't all the time, and sometimes I still do what's bad in my flesh and my spirit, I think that shows us that God understands how we feel because God is giving Paul these words to say, and God tells Paul, write this, and it is honestly one of the most relatable scriptures I've ever read, and it shows us that God cares about us and he wants us to know that he understands it doesn't excuse our sin and it doesn't excuse our sinful desires, but we can know that God understands what we're going through. Your salvation he cares is about sure. us that much. Yeah. He understands he himself was was tempted, wrapped in wrapped mm-hmm. in flesh. Christ God in the flesh, he himself went through the same temptations and yet he did not sin. And and another thing that this is going to hit on, and we're going to actually talk about this in Romans chapter eight, is that um, is that your salvation is sure. If you are a Christian, your salvation it can never be taken away. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, and and we're going to be talking about that in in Romans chapter eight, but. Uh, Wow, that really, that is a hard-hitting uh, chapter. It's amazing. That's just the introduction. That's the lead-up to Romans chapter 8, which, if you don't know, Romans chapter 8 is, like... Likely going to be split into two episodes. <laughs> it's one of the most treasured Bible passages ever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, yeah. Alright, as always, we have a meme for you today, but this one is a bit different because Clara didn't make it. I actually made this one. Uh, <laughs> if you look on the website, you can see it's Valentine's themed since it's February and Valentine's Day is coming up. Um, so we have a picture of Quasimodo and Esmeralda from the stage musical The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is one of my favorite musicals ever. And, um, spoiler alert, uh, so at the very end, of course, Esmeralda dies and Quasimodo is there just holding her in his arms and sobbing, and it's very dramatic and beautiful. And then on the top it says, Happy Valentine's Day with cheesy hearts. So, um... I'm not going to rate my own meme, but I think it's pretty funny. Of course, that could just be because I love this musical. So. Well, Raleigh, would you like to close us in prayer? Absolutely. Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending it to us. I thank you that we are able to read your very words. I pray that this episode blessed everyone who listened to it. I pray that you spoke to them. I thank you for speaking to Tanner and I and giving us the words to say. I thank you that he is back. I thank you that we are able to record together again. And I pray that you will 
guide us as this podcast goes forth in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, um, you can find this episode, you can find all our other episodes and all sorts of things at our website, which is um, thepillaroffirepof.wixsite.com forward slash website. And if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can email that to us at uh, thepillaroffirepof at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-I-L-L-A-R-O-F-F-I-R-E-P-O-F at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. This has been The Pillar of Fire.